0: Every time I watch that video, I feel like I'm going to break out in a cold sweat just remembering how unreliable computers used to be, um, especially especially uh, Windows-based computers. <laughs> Switch over to Mac, it's a better life. Uh, good morning, everyone. How are you? Great to see you. Welcome to South Hills. Uh, my name is Randy, and we are so glad you're here. Um, a couple things as we get going this morning, uh, and get ready to dive into the scriptures. Um, I would love to take a moment and just pray for you. Um, and, and, you know, the world has been pretty crazy for going on darn near two years. Um, and, uh, and, and regardless of how you feel about COVID or injections or masks or whatever, regardless of where you fall on that spectrum, um, life is pretty stirred up for a lot of us. And a lot of us are having to figure out like what's happening with our kids at school. Are they going to be homeschooled or, you know, what's going on? Are they going to be able to stay in school? You know, so there's people figuring out brand new stuff for the first time. Um, There's people figuring out, trying to solve problems that maybe they didn't have to to deal with before. Um, There's also just a lot of tension. And unfortunately, um, you know, many times those who are in positions of power influence who are decision makers um, are, are leading in a way that it's kind of only serving to sort of ramp up that tension uh, between people that have differing views. And so um, so there's just a lot of sort of anxiety, like collective anxiety, maybe more so right now than there's been since the very beginning of, of last year when it kind of all hit and it, we're all very uncertain. Uh, but there's just so much sort of like anxious energy and anxiety, and anger, even some, and, and I just wanted to stop, and, uh, and if you're feeling that this morning, um, just pray for you, and pray for us, pray for our our community, and our mayor, and our city council, and the school board, certainly in this area, and our governor, and u- ultimately the leaders of our country. Would, would you pray with me um, for just a moment? God, we just want to pause, just, and just uh, take a deep breath, and Lord, for many of us gathering here on Sunday morning, or, or Gathering around the computer at home to watch and, and the live stream, God, it, it's it's this reprieve for us where we can kind of step into this window of time and not have to really think about, you know, what's going to have to happen on Monday and jobs and and you know whether or not our employer is going to mandate certain things or whether or not we got to do this or whether or not more people need to do something or God, what are we going to do with our kids? Like, all that tension and. and Lord, we just wanna be able to take a moment today and I pray over every family, every mom, every dad, God, every person that's here this morning just dealing with that sense of uncertainty and anxiety and, and maybe some frustration and anger about just some of the things that are happening. And God, just this overall general sense of being overwhelmed. Your presence, God, that your spirit, that your peace, that your strength would flood into this place God, that we would lean into you. We would trust you. God, that you would bring a sense, Lord, that you have your hand on the wheel, that we can trust you, that the world is not spinning out of control, that we know exactly who it is that holds the world in his hand. And so, God, even though things feel very uncertain, even though things can maybe be moving in directions that make us feel really uncomfortable. God, we can trust you. And so I pray for your peace and your strength this morning, God, that you would be with every single family as they navigate figuring out the school year and school and kids and homeschool and jobs and all of that. And so, Lord, we pray for our community and we pray for our mayor and city council. We pray for the governor and the state legislature. God, we pray for our president and the House and Congress and Senate. God, we pray, Lord, for our leaders. Lord, we, God, we just pray that you would direct their steps. God, that you would be more real to them than you have ever been. Lord, we thank you that you are with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last thing, uh, Shira mentioned the Because of South Hills cards. Um, man, please, please, please take a moment. Um, it, it can be something really huge and profound. It can be something super simple. Um, somebody, uh, somebody filled one out and handed it to me this morning. I didn't even look at it, fold it, put it in my pocket, came over and sat down. Um, and they just wrote, uh, because of South Hills, you know, I, I no longer feel alone. And that was just super, really uh, meaningful and powerful. And so whether it's you made a friend, you met your wife, you got married, you, you know, God changed your life, you got back, whatever it is, um, please take a moment. Jot, jot something down there. It, it really is an exciting time for us in the life of our church. So we've been talking for a couple of weeks now about how we're going to be launching into a second service at the end of the month. And And this first year that our church ha has been in existence has been amazing. But I really believe with all of my heart that God is just kind of getting started. And, and I believe that as our church continues to grow, that we're actually going to pack this building out as we move, uh, you know, as we are heading on our way to get our, getting our own place and having our own facility, not because I, I want us to be a big church, but because God loves every single person in this valley and we want them to experience the life and the love and the hope of Jesus and that only exists in him. And so honestly, for me, like that's what every single day of my life is pointed in that direction. Uh, that's what we're going after. And and I'm excited that you're here and that you're a part of it. And, and we talk a lot around, around here about, you know, this idea of being the perfect place for imperfect people. And And honestly, it's more than just a cute little slogan. It's really a conviction that we have that every single person matters to God. And so that's why we're doing this series all together now, really asking the question, what would happen if we were able to somehow all lean in the direction, the same direction at the same time, if we were somehow able to unleash the power of all of us at the same time. And so last week, because everyone matters, we we talked about how because everybody matters, you're too important to sit on the sidelines. And so a whole bunch of people who, we're not previously serving, jumped in to sign up to serve at least for the month of October, which is amazing. And if you weren't here or didn't get the chance to participate because you were too busy kind of hitting up the ice, tree, ice cream truck for the second or third time, um, or, or you just kind of avoided it because you're afraid of commitment, um, there's still time for you to jump in and be a part of that. Uh, you can just fill out a Connect card and just write serve on there. And uh, one of our amazing, amazing volunteers will get in contact with you and just kind of help you figure out um, what, what would be best? And so I, I've actually caught myself doing this, this thing in all kinds of ways um, where um, I, I do it with everything. And so I, I was in a conversation a while back with someone where they were talking about their tendency to compare. And in the middle of them talking about their tendency to compare themselves, I caught myself comparing my tendency to compare myself with their tendency to compare themselves And I felt pretty good by comparison. Um, Have you ever caught yourself kind of looking around and comparing yourself to other people? Like you've probably done this at some level, whether it was a neighbor or a coworker or a stranger or friend or sibling, like we can't help but compare and sort of measure ourselves against other people, against the people that are around us. Because the reality is there's always someone with a bigger-er than we have in our life. Where they are rich, er, skinny, er, smart, er, happy, er, pretty, er, thin, er, cool, er, talented, er. They're just more fluential on Instagram, or. er. And as you kind of grow up, you think, "Oh, you know, I'll like maybe grow out of that." But then you have kids, and it just gets worse because now it's not just your friend or cousin or neighbor that has more er than you, but somehow their kids have more er than you. They're smarter, or they throw the ball faster, or they get better great. Like, but that's how we are, right? Like, I, I want more er than you, not because I don't like you. Because if I have more er than you, I feel better about me. I mean, I like you, but I wanna go away from lunch or coffee or church or hanging out with you. And I wanna go home and go, man, they're pretty good, but I am er. I'm whatever they are, plus a little bit of er. And the truth is we all do that, right? Like if we were just being honest with ourselves, we, we have those conversations. We find ourselves kind of trapped in this endless cycle of comparing who we are, who we're not, what we have, what we don't have with the people around us. Because our tendency is to compare ourselves to those that we imagine that have more time and more money and more energy and a better quality of life. And you just look at their pictures on Instagram and their family is always so happy. And you're just like, oh my gosh, like why, why? our family's a mess. How come we're not as happy as they are? What's going on? And so we only, like we we feel this sense around us, like everybody's doing better than us and has more than us and their life is better than us. And because we pick and choose, right, who and what and when we compare ourselves to based on like what we actually want in the moment or the tension we're feeling in that moment. Because it's, it's and the truth is, it's easy to feel depressed and deflated and Frustrated because we're so preoccupied with what we don't have or what we really aren't and what they are. But ha- have you ever had the opposite experience though where you, you were around someone who obviously had less-er than you but they also seemed to have something else that you didn't have? They were contented-er, peaceful-er, calm-er, selfless-er. They have less, yet somehow their life seems fuller and freer. And in those moments, I don't know about you, but that experience is always kind of catches me off guard and rattles me a little bit. Wait a minute. How can they be so happy, selfless, generous, I mean, what am I missing? Like they obviously know and see or understand something that maybe I don't. They, they, they're experiencing something that seems to be missing for me. So there's, a, there's this incredible, but kind of little known story in the scriptures and it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter eight. Before we read some of it though, I, I wanted to give you a little bit of backstory. So in the early days of Christianity, Um, after Jesus lived and died and was resurrected and then ascended into heaven and his followers began to launch out this thing called the church, Um, things began to spread out from the city of Jerusalem. There were a handful of churches that were started really across the Roman empire, all around around the uh, Mediterranean rim. But the church where it all started, which was in Jerusalem, was being heavily persecuted and they were going through some really, extremely difficult times. And so the apostles and the leaders of the whole movement of Jesus, of the whole church global, they decided that they wanted to kind of reach out around the world to all of the churches, uh, the the known churches at that time, and, and, and take up an offering and begin to try to help the people who were in need in Jerusalem. So naturally they started with the biggest and kind of wealthiest churches that existed. That obviously made the most sense. But when they got to to the churches where people didn't have as much or the, the people seemed to kind of be having their own issues, they had a dilemma and they began to wrestle with this question of, is it even appropriate for us to ask people to give when they're hurting themselves or they don't really have that much to begin with? I mean, even if we're asking with the purest of motives, for the purest of reasons, Like even if it's to help other people who are poor and hurting and need help, is it even appropriate, is it offensive? Won't that be awkward and uncomfortable? And so they don't wanna make anyone feel guilty or less than, and so they decide, okay, look, we're just not gonna ask. But there's some people in a church in a place called Macedonia, and when they realize what is happening, that they were not asked to contribute, they're super bummed because they wanted in, they wanted to be a part of it, and not only do they give, they, they, they blew everyone away so much so that the Apostle Paul actually tells their story as he writes a letter to the, this church in a city called Corinth, as he writes the first Corinthians, or second Corinthians, excuse me. So check it out. This is, this is the part of the story that he tells in second Corinthians chapter eight. He says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it out of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. And they even did more than we had hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. Now, I don't know if you've ever read the Bible or you've ever been reading the scriptures and you read a sentence and it just kind of seems out of place with what came before it and what came after it. And that happens every time I've read verse two in this chapter, because he says they they were suffering from many troubles and were very poor. They were suffering from many troubles. Have you ever you ever been at a period of time in your life, a series of time in your life, like where you suffered from many, many troubles, like, like not just a few, not just a handful, but everywhere you turn. And I'm not just talking about the wifi is a little slow. I'm talking about real problems, real troubles. So the new Testament actually wasn't written in English. It was written originally in Greek and got translated into, in, into English and, and the, the part that gets translated at this part where that, that, that they were suffering many troubles, right? the, the language is actually talking about they were under extreme pressure. And the picture is actually that they were surrounded on every side with no way out, that they were going through a really, really difficult time and they had no good options. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Ever sound like a, a period of time in your life? And on top of that, They had the double whammy. They were very poor. I mean, no, like when you're going through a hard time and then you don't have money on top of it, you're just like, ah, God, can we please catch a break? So um, my parents got divorced when I was really young. And uh, at the time that they got divorced, uh, there were five of us kids and my mom was a single mom and um and we were we were very poor. Uh she worked hard. She was an awesome mom. She worked a couple of jobs. Uh but we were on welfare. That was the way we, we the only way we could survive. Um and <clears throat> uh I was actually telling some friends this last night. Like I remember when I was a kid, I don't think they do this anymore, but like uh we would pick up like actual groceries uh from the from the welfare office. We didn't just get food stamps. Um, now it's like the, I don't, I can't, B, B, no, not, I almost said B-E-T. It's not B-E-B-T. There we go. I knew it was the right letters. B-E-T. It's not the black entertainment television. It's electronic balance transfer. different words. All right. But I remember like we used to pick up food and like to this day, my favorite cheese is government cheese. If you never had government cheese, it's the best. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like Velveeta. It's like half Velveeta. It's like a step between Velveeta and real cheese. So it's got like Uh, it's the best. Like if they brought me a block right now, I'd be like, I take it. I'll take it home and make it right now. Uh, it's fantastic. But I remember like these plain silver cans that just had a cow on the side. It was like canned beef. And then a plain silver can that had a pig on it. It was like canned pork. And I I was just like, does meat come in a can? I don't know if that's, if that's right. So I've, I've experienced that. I, I didn't know actually that we were poor until I got in junior high. And then the other kids were like, dude, you're poor. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that. Like, yeah, most kids don't buy their shoes at Payless. They get their shoes you know, at Nordstrom. And I was like, what's Nordstrom? Um, so Paul's writing about these people, and, he's, and he says they, they had many troubles, and they were very poor. And here's the part that doesn't make sense. He says, but not only are they content, content they have abundant joy. And somehow when you put it all together with their many troubles and them being very poor, and their abundant joy, it all resulted in overflowing generosity, Wh- what? Troubles plus poverty plus joy, of course, we all know that always leads to generosity. Like I, when I read that, I'm like, wait, what, what are you talking about? It just doesn't make any sense. It's completely counterintuitive to us, but, but here's the deal, it's our choices not our circumstances that determine the level of joy in our life and how generous we are. See, we, we often think that what's happening to us dictates how happy we can be and how giving we can be. But in this story, none of that seemed to matter. It was literally what they decided, that they were going to have joy and they were going to be generous. In other words, there's decisions that we can make that regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what's happening to you, they will produce in us a lasting sense of peace and satisfaction that they will free us from that horrible trap of comparing ourselves to everybody around us, wishing that we had just a little bit more-er. Now, I gotta be honest, there's part of me that doesn't really like this because sometimes it just feels good to feel sorry for yourself. Like it just feels good to like pity party of one. Like you don't need you don't need other people to join your pity party to just have a really good party. It feels good to have excuses. Oh, excuse me. reasons why you're unhappy. Cause when your kids are unhappy, they have excuses of why they're not doing the things. But when you're unhappy and you're not doing the thing, like you actually have reasons. And those are two different things. But, but it's nice to, to be able to go, look, life is just dealing me a crappy hand right now. And so I don't wanna be happy. I don't wanna have joy. I don't wanna reach out. I don't wanna love people. I don't wanna serve people. And I certainly don't wanna be generous to anybody. Sometimes it just feels kind of good to compare yourself to other people because after all, it's kind of fun to hate on people who have a little bit more Ur than you, right? Kind of root against them. I mean, it's terrible, but also you're just like, you feel that little bit of joy when something bad happens to the perfect people in your life. You're like, oh, so sad. So sad that you got a flat tire on the way to work. Yes. And you even thank God. You're like, thank you, Jesus. The Lord is good. See, even though I can look over here and those people have better and somehow are better, I can look over there and feel pretty good about myself because I got it going on to the people on that side. Not you people, but, you know, maybe you guys. Isn't it awful that we do that, right? It's just a terrible part of the human experience that we see and experience one another that way. But that's what happens every time we kind of look around and compare ourselves and compare our lives and compare our families and compare our circumstances. It, it tricks me into thinking that my happiness and my ability to be selfless are completely dependent upon my circumstances. But, but they're not. Now, I, I know if you're skeptical of this, I totally get it. Like, the, the truth is, though, like I've actually experienced this for myself, and it's true. And, and I think if you thought about it, you, you've experienced this too. So Because the challenging reality of this story is that I'm the only thing keeping me from having joy and being generous. Because generosity isn't the result of being wealthy, or it is even just having more than I have right now. It's a choice that I make that regardless of whatever's happening to me, this I'm going to live my life with an open hand. So in verse three, he says that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. See, I, I think the truth is, is like we all have like this thing in our head that if we had a little bit more, we would be more generous. But it, honestly, it's just not true. I, one of the funniest conversations I've ever had, and I've actually had this conversation a couple of times as a pastor, where somebody approached me um, when we were pastoring in, in uh, outside of Sacramento. And they're like, and with all seriousness, the Powerball was up like, crazy high, over $500 million. And, and they were like, Pastor, um, please, could you just pray that my husband and I win the Powerball? Um, I promise, and God knows my heart. They're totally serious. God knows my heart. I would give to the church if I won the Powerball. And I was like, I am not going to pray that. I don't know what to say right now. Um, the truth is, is like all of the research shows the opposite, right? When we wait till later to be generous, later never comes. doesn't matter how much we have. doesn't matter how much our life changes. The reality is, is giving what you have right now is way better than intending to give what you hope you have later. See, they they didn't, the the people in this story, the Macedonians, they, they didn't know what they were capable of until they actually did it. And when you stop and kind of step back from, from, for a minute and think about your life, I mean, that's true of all of us. We don't actually know our own capacity really in any level or in any area of our life until a demand is placed on us. Until, you know, something challenges us physically and we have to step up to that challenge and answer that challenge and we go, well, I didn't even really know I could do that. And it's true of us physically and emotionally and relationally, and spiritually, economically, in fact, this is one of the reasons why we decided to go ahead and take the step and challenge ourselves to, to have two services on Sunday is because like we wanna do something about kind of alleviating what's going on in kids, but also like there's that tension of like, man, we could fit a whole lot more people in this room, but, but, but I, we don't know what we're capable of. And the end of the day, I was like, we don't really actually know our capacity. Why don't we just step into that and put that demand on us to actually grow and fill this room up? And, and let's just rise to that occasion and meet that challenge. Because we don't actually know what we're capable of until the demand actually hits. See, and this is true of us sort of financially too, right? Most of us spend the majority of our lives wanting to be more generous than we actually are. Like if we were honest, like if we went around the room, nobody would be like, generosity sucks. I don't wanna be more, no, there's nobody who's down on generosity. We would all be like, yeah, I would love to be more generous. Well, what is the holdup? Well, it's just because you see if I got and if I just get to, and if I had a little bit more in the bank account, and we have all these reasons. So most of us spend the majority of our lives wanting to be more generous than we are. Because after all, we got our student loans, and, and, and we haven't quite got the six months of living expenses in reserves you know, yet, or or we're still saving to take that trip, or to buy that new trailer, or to move into that bigger house, and it's just a, it's just about time to sort of trade up on our vehicle, or with we're within striking distance on our dream property, and and through that lens, your capacity, our capacity for generosity is pretty limited, because you have a a list of things you're trying to do with your life. And it's not like you have this giant pile of money that you're, if you do, I'd like to talk to you, but it's not like most of us have this giant pile of money. We're just sitting on just going, I don't know what to do with this. See, everyone thought the Macedonians were limited. They didn't think they could really afford to give. They didn't think that they had any capacity to do anything but they ended up giving not only what they could afford to give, but then they gave far more. Why? Because we don't actually know what we're capable of until more is demanded of us until God or life places a demand on our faith or until we place a demand on ourselves to begin to sacrifice and give and be generous. See, these people had joy, not because their problems went away. They had many troubles, these people had joy, not because they got everything they wanted. They were very poor. But they had joy in the midst of their troubles and their poverty because they found a way to be generous despite their circumstances. Verse 4, he says, They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. I, I read that, I'm like, who are these people? Like, they're begging for the privilege of giving. That doesn't make any sense at all. Like I've never, I've been a pastor a long time. Nobody's ever come up to me and just like, please, please, can I just give more? No one's ever done that. No one's ever pleaded with me. I've never felt that. I've never felt like, you know what? If these people would just allow me to give a little bit more of my money away. But that's what was happening. They, they were begging for the privilege of giving. They weren't obligated to. They weren't being manipulated. But who sees giving as a privilege and then begs for the opportunity to give? What is actually going on here? If you have little kids or if you've ever been around little kids, you will only be around them for a few minutes. And I promise you, one of them is going to ask you a question. And the question that's going to get asked is, you think I can do that? And that that could be climbing the slide or climbing the wall or jumping over the thing or jumping off the couch. One of those kids, somebody's gonna be like, and if you wanna shut it down, just go, yeah, yeah, I think you can do that. And they'll just be like, all right, that's right. You know I can. All right, it's over. But if you want to see them go crazy, just be like, no, there's no way. You, there's no way. There's no, you couldn't do that in your wildest dreams. And before the words are even out of your mouth, they will be pursuing and trying to do that thing that you just dared them and told them they couldn't do. Why? Why is that? It's because we don't want people who will limit our challenges. We want people who will challenge our limits. We want people who will be in our life and go, man, you got more in you. Like you're capable of so much more. Now, I, I, not, not not because I think you're slacking, but you don't realize everything that God has put into your life. You don't realize the potential that you have. And the truth is, inside all of us, we are just like those little kids. Like, hey, do you think I can do this? Just waiting for somebody to go, I don't mm, I don't, uh, did you think about, and you're just like, dude, you don't understand. See, we, you don't need people in your life who are going to limit your challenges. You need people in your life who are going to challenge your limits. Those are the kinds of people that I want in my life. Those are the kinds of people that that's the kind of place I want us to be. That's why the Macedonians responded the way they did to being left out and, you know, supporting those people in Jerusalem it's because they didn't want to be like coddled. They didn't want like the white glove treatment. They didn't want somebody to feel sorry for them. They wanted somebody to go, look, you're in some really difficult circumstances, but you have the ability to still help them. Do you want in? And they were like, heck yeah, we want in. We want to be a part of this. But the story doesn't stop there. The story actually isn't found in Second Macedonians. The story is found in a letter written to the Corinthians church, and they did have more than most other churches. They especially had more than the Macedonians. So look at what Paul says to them after he shares the story of the Macedonians in the same chapter in Second Corinthians eight, verses seven and eight says this. So now he's talking to the people he's writing this letter to, and he says, "Since you excel in so many ways, I want you to excel in the gracious act of giving." I'm not commanding you to do this. So he's like, "Look, this is totally optional." I'm not telling you you have to. I'm not berating you. I'm not putting it on you. I'm not gonna tell you that God says you could do it. He makes it clear that he's telling them the story he just told them to inspire them, not to shame them, which I absolutely love because as we've talked about before, like I've been in churches and church situations where so much of the experience, especially when it comes to conversations about money and generosity and giving, We're about guilting and shaming people and just trying to get more out of them and get them to do something that they really didn't want to do to begin with. And Paul's going, look, I know how generous you are. I know how generous you want to be. This is your opportunity. And if you've ever had that experience in church or somebody guilted you or manipulated you or shamed you, chances are this whole message is a little bit uncomfortable. And you feel that tension inside that why are we even talking about this? And, and honestly, I get that. I really do. But, but the scriptures are telling us that if we ignore this conversation, we're the ones who lose. We're the ones. So the apostle Paul is like, look, I, I'm telling you all of this, not because of something I want from you, because something I, I want for you. Because I, I'm looking at these people over here who didn't have a lot. And I saw what it did for them, that they were a part of this. Like the joy and the blessing that they experienced. And that's what I want for you. He's going, you guys are awesome. You're awesome in so many ways. I just don't want to see you miss out. See, g- generosity, it, it's, so, it's such a difficult conversation. But when you read the scriptures, it's obvious that it's not supplemental to the movement of Jesus. It's, it's not on the periphery. It's not a side issue. It's absolutely, absolutely essential. And and I know like money and conversations at church are, have been wacky and all kinds of dumb things have gotten said. But the, the scriptures remain. That there's no way around it. That this conversation is one that God is having with us on a regular basis. Like in my selfishness, I wish we could ignore it. I really do. Like, I don't, it is my, one of my least favorite things to stand up and talk about. Not because I don't enjoy talking about it, but because most people don't enjoy listening to, to it. And I'd much rather talk to you about something that you enjoy hearing. But I didn't write the scriptures. I just teach them. So Paul continues in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10. He says, so here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to actually begin doing it. Now you should just finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly, and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. So in that first couple of verses, it's obvious that the Corinthians had always had big intentions to give, But they often got distracted by their own interests and didn't follow through. And when I read that, I think, oh, finally, my people. (laughs) You ever like intend to do something and it just never, never happens? You intend to start a habit, you intend to work out, you intend to start, you know, you just like, all right, that's it. I'm going to get up and plank every day. And you get up and you do it for two days and you're like, this sucks. I'm not planking anymore. And I go downstairs and get some breakfast. Anybody want to go to donuts? Let's go. Come on, kids. Let's go get donuts. See, when I read that, something about it just makes me feel better. That they had intended, they had communicated like, yeah, we're going to do this thing. And everybody's just sort of waiting for them to do the thing they said they were going to do, and they're not doing it. And Paul's just like, hey, it's kind of been a year. I don't know. You guys you got, it, you got it together. You ready to start? You want to do this? I, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. I can always find a reason not to give. I can always find a reason to not be generous. You don't even have to try. I love how Paul handles it though. He's like, hey, it's no biggie. Like it happens. Just don't don't feel bad. Don't feel guilty. Just get back on track. Just just take that step. In verse 12, he says, give according to what you have, not what you don't have. And the principle that Jesus laid out in his teaching is the principle that the Apostle Paul is like reaffirming here is that we should just give in proportion to what we've been given. It's not about how much you contribute, it's that you contribute. The point is to get out of your own bubble, to kind of get out of your own head, to get out of your own wants, needs, and desires, and to realize that you're part of something bigger than just you. And I think one of the takeaways is that that. God compares our generosity and our giving not against what other people give, but simply against what we've been given. And when you care about and sacrifice on behalf of, for the good of, you know, something that's bigger than you, no matter how big a part you play, it's a big deal and it will make your life better. My kids have an ungodly amount of Legos. Um, it's embarrassing to look at twenty years worth of buying Legos and just to think about all the money that those Legos represent and they have so i'm just it's it's unfathomable last year <clears throat> that doesn't stop us from buying more by the way we just keep buying them um, last year, Kelton was putting together our youngest son Kelton who's six. He was putting together one that was, I like to give him the one that are like 14 plus and just like, hey, see if you can figure it out. And he's like crying. No, I'm just kidding. We don't do that. I give him the age appropriate one. So he's like building one that's, you know, six plus or whatever. And and he gets it all built, but it wouldn't stand right. Um, and it's because there was this tiny little piece that he had overlooked that went like right in the middle. And so we had to like slowly take it apart, like 18 pages and pull all these pieces off to put that little and the truth is is like it doesn't matter like that tiny little piece made the whole thing work sometimes i don't think that we realize like it doesn't matter what part we're pl- like the part that it just matters that we actually are a part of it it's impossible for us to know what will happen when we're generous but we only know what will happen if we're not nothing nothing will happen Because what was true of the Macedonians is true of you and me. Like, I'm trying to work more to get myself to the point where I'm more offended when people don't include me in the generous opportunities to help other people than when they do reach out and ask me to be a part of it. And and that's one of the incredible things about what we're building here together is that everyone is included, not only to be on the receiving end, not only to be in relationship, but also in the opportunity to, to contribute, to pay it forward, to give back, to be a part of what God is building here. And, and I, I, know, I know when it comes to this conversation, there's always tension. And, and maybe some of us even feel some financial pressure in some area of our life. But I, I know many of us probably don't. The truth is, what we learn from the Macedonians is that there is a poverty that kills generosity, but it is never economic. The poverty that kills generosity has nothing to do with how much money you have or don't have. It has to do with how you view the world, how you view your source, how you view God, how you view the future. Because in the end, Every time I've taken that step to move towards being generous, it has always expanded my capacity. I've always been surprised, oh, we actually can do more than I thought. We're, we're capable of more. We have the ability to do more. And when we choose to be generous, we realize we had more in us and more accessible to us than we ever thought. Finally, here's the best part. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 right in the middle of this, telling the story and then talking to the Corinthians, this is what Paul says. He says, you know, the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. So he he goes beyond telling, telling them that they should be generous because the Macedonians are generous, right? He tells them they should be generous because God is generous. He's like, man, those Macedonians, they're pretty rad people. But you know who's even better than that? Jesus. And so he's like, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is where it all comes from. That's our motivation. That's the example. That's it. That's what we're called to emulate. Somebody who had the ultimate riches in life and, and, and grace and love. Somebody who had it all, but allowed himself to be made poor. Why? So that we could be enriched. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, that's the good news this morning is that he loves you so much that he was willing to give up everything for you, that he traded his riches for poverty so that you could be made rich. He traded his life so that you could know life. And he's inviting you to simply step out of the shadows and into his light and to open your heart and to let him love you. And if you're a guest this morning or if you're not a follower of Jesus that is the thing that I want you to take away is that God allowed himself to be made poor so that you could be made rich. And here's, here's the challenge for all of us. All together right now, let's just give our best gift to Beyond Our Walls today. Can you imagine what we could do if we all did something? I I know some of us are skeptical. You might even feel a little bit cynical when it comes to churches and motives. So we purposely chose a project that's outside of our church, something that's making a huge difference in the world. So we have a global global organization that we partner with on a regular basis um, uh, that that does work around the world called called Convoy of Hope. And they have an initiative called Feed One. um, And uh, this is the kind of work that they're doing. So take, take a look at this video. So um, I show you that story not because I want you to feel all emotional and even though it is an emotional story, uh, not as a a manipulation tactic so that you'll give um, because that's honestly is not. I want you to see the work that they do. Um, One one of my favorite things about Feed One and Convoy of Hope is if you go to Charity Navigator uh, and check out Convoy of Hope. Um, they have an exceptional rating. They've been rated exceptional by Charity Navigator. If you know anything about Charity Navigator, they rate charities and, and nonprofits based on how much money, uh, what percentage of every dollar that's given to that organization actually goes to do the work that they say that they're doing. Um, and because a lot of organizations uh, you give in a really small percentage of your money, goes to actually do that thing, and a large percentage of it goes to pay salaries for executives and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so you can go check it out for yourself. You don't have to take my word for it, uh, but they've been rated exceptional by Charity Navigator. It's one of the reasons why we, we support them on a regular basis. Um, and so I, I, just you, I just wanted you to see that because every, every penny that's given today, we're going to end our service in just a moment, worship God and give, and I'm going to pray over you, and we're going to be done. Um, but every penny that's given to Beyond Our Walls today is actually going to go directly to sponsoring meals for kids through feed one. And, and and so um, $10 with feed one, because of the type of organization they are, because of what convoy of hope does, um, they actually can feed a kid for 10 bucks a month, um, which is incredible uh, because most feeding um, organizations charge between 25 to $35 a month to feed, to feed a child. Um, But um, because, of their, because of what Convoy of Hope does as a relief organization. They actually have partnerships with giant food companies like Nabisco, and, and so they buy just huge amounts of food um, in bulk, and so it keeps their costs for their feeding program really low. Um, and so because I am super committed to never asking you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself, I would actually love for you to join me and my family as we commit to sponsor Meals for a Kid. This is what we're going to do. You can do whatever you want. We're going to sponsor Meals for a Kid for an entire year. Um, You may be able to do more. You might do less. doesn't matter. Do your part. Be a part. Let's all do something. Let's pray together.